Perhaps you have noticed a sweeping problem in our culture with how people speak to one another. People all around are very quick to spew out of their mouths whatever is on their mind. In fact, people walk around with this thought in their mind. I don't like to think before I speak. I like to be just as surprised as everyone else about what comes out of my mouth. Perhaps some of us resemble that remark. And then, and then many times they justify their statement with a qualifier and a less than half-hearted attempt to diffuse any offense given to others around. We hear people make a snarky comment and then declare, I'm just saying. That dress is ugly. I'm just saying. What a backhanded way to insult and spread wickedness. How quickly we can hurt others with just our tongues. The truth is we are responsible for our words and we should always think before we speak. I was talking to a friend who lives in California earlier this week who had to be evacuated because of the fires. She was telling me that, that just that day, a new fire started and with only, within only a few minutes, a massive amount of acreage was destroyed. In fact, the Washington Post stated this. Daniel Swain, a climate scientist at UCLA, tweeted that the fire was growing at a rate as high as an estimated 80 acres per minute Thursday morning. It grew from 1,000 acres to 5,000 acres in just a few hours. He described the rate of speed as truly astonishing, end quote. For just a little perspective, if, Fris if the city of Frisco, Texas, where we are sitting right now, was burning at 80 acres per minute, then it would take about eight and a half hours to burn through the city. 100 plus years of building and development would be destroyed in the length of a normal workday. James chapter 3. Verses 5 through 12 says this. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water? As believers in Jesus Christ, we are to respond to wickedness wisely. Yet if we're honest, I wonder if we might find that we are at moments spreading evil with our tongues at a rate maybe even faster than the California wildfires. After all, the ill-advised tweet that you and I could post reaches around the world in a matter of seconds. Words 
are powerful. They can be used to bring about death and destruction, or they can bring life and offer hope. Our tongues must be bridled, and we should practice speaking life as we seek to build to last. Our current series, Practice Makes Permanent, is simply a wisdom-seeking exploration so that our thoughts and our actions and our words make a permanent, hopeful impact on others who are in our lives. And today we're going to look at several truths from Solomon's wisdom about speech as we seek to learn today to speak life. If you'll turn to your Bibles to Proverbs 25, we're going to begin there. Proverbs 25, verses 11 through 15, and also verse 25. Let me read that. Beginning of verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. With patience a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. In verse 25, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. If we are going to learn to speak life, then one of the truths that we have to learn is that we need to be faithful, refreshing messengers. We need to be faithful, refreshing messengers. Beginning of the section that we just read says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. The right words at the right time are beautiful. Just like a silver bowl full of golden, delicious, juicy apples, so does the right word shine beautifully as we share with one in need. Just like a precious gold ring or a fine ornament of gold, just like those things have worth, so does a wise person who shares the word of truth and love to one who needs to hear. Now, it might be hard for you to imagine since winter decided to join fall all at once this week here in North Texas. But think back for a moment in the heat of the summer when you are working and sweating and craving a nice, cool, refreshing drink. This is the thought of how a refreshing word is like snow in the harvest time. Verse 13 says, Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. An ice-cold tea and a cool breeze in the middle of the heat of a harvest work is refreshing to one's body. A faithful messenger. A faithful messenger is one who speaks life so another goes away refreshed in their soul because they met with you. That thought's continuing in verse 25. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. You and I, who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we know the greatest news in all of history. The greatest news in all of history, that Jesus died to set sinners free. How well 
are you doing speaking that life into others around you? Sharing that good news to offer them hope and peace. A faithful messenger also brings refreshing revelation. Verse 14 says, Like clouds and wind without rain, as a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. Again, based on the weather around here in North Texas, it might be hard to imagine, but think back to those long summer days at times when we don't have any rain. When the ground begins to get hard and, and, and separate and crack, and everybody's longing for rain to soften the ground and provide water for our lakes. And then you wake up one morning, you walk outside, and you see these clouds starting to form, and the wind picks up a little bit, and you think, rain's coming, rain's coming, it's going to look, look, it's, right. so it's forming right there. And all of a sudden, the clouds clear, the sky is blue again, and there is no rain. How disappointing. Dr. Tom Constable says this about verse 14. He says, this proverb contrasts with the one in the previous verse and with the one in 1816. As a cold drink on a hot day refreshes, so a windy, cloudy sky that bodes rain but does not deliver it disappoints. Such is the person who proudly claims to have certain abilities or gifts but fails to show them when called upon to do so. Jude used this figure of clouds without rain to describe false teachers who deliver a lot of wind but no refreshing revelation, end quote. We are called to be people who do not disappoint with our words. And we're also called to use our words to influence others. A faithful, refreshing messenger has power to influence rulers, in fact, Verse 15 says, with patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will, be, will break a bone. By being quick to hear and slow to speak, we have the ability to persuade those in authority for good. But if I look around, it seems that many don't understand what it means to respond rightfully to authority. So let's take a second to look at some other scripture about that. 1 Peter 2, 13-17 says this, it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Young people, do you patiently listen to what mom and dad is telling you and learn to listen and obey and be patient and kind with your words of response? Or do you just stomp around demanding your own way? Ladies and gentlemen, how are we doing when it comes to fighting against evil in our workplace or in our government? Are you submissive? Are you stomping around with a riot sign, protesting because you don't like something? Personally, I see a lot of griping and complaining and ranting, and unfortunately, even 
for some of us within God's church. Brothers, it not, must not be so. I read a fun story about a person who influenced a ruler recently with patience and the right words, and I'd like to share that with you. Our staff recently read and discussed the book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, by Clay Scroggins. In the chapter titled Challenging Up, Scroggins tells a story of the Chick-fil-A milkshake. Now you're interested, aren't you? Let me read, let me read this to you. Shane Todd was the pioneer of the Chick-fil-A milkshake. A product as significant and as successful as Chick-fil-A's milkshake can never be credited to a single person. But if you were to ask most people in and around Chick-fil-A, they will gladly credit Shane as the key driver for the innovation and evolution of the milkshake. Shane is a franchise owner and operator in Athens, Georgia. Now, if you're not familiar with Chick-fil-A's franchise model, I'll give you a quick primer. Chick-fil-A uses a, an unusual, atypical franchise model for fast food restaurants, where the corporate organization maintains ownership of the store. Because there is such a direct corporate involvement, it leads to a healthy tension for someone like Shane. He is both an employee of Chick-fil-A, and he has an ownership mindset for his own local store. As a leader, Shane is entrepreneurial, driven, and innovative. He's not content with just managing a local restaurant, but is constantly looking for new ideas in new markets to introduce at his local Chick-fil-A. Long before the milkshake was launched nationwide in the spring of 2006, customers were already asking for another dessert option. Shane's own store was receiving multiple requests for milkshakes. The common thought at Chick-fil-A's central office was that it would take too long for them to provide a quality product without slowing down the high-quality quick service the store was committed to providing. According to Woody Falk, who was the vice president of MiniStrategy at the time, the milkshake project had been going in circles at headquarters. Things were now at a standstill. Despite some red flags from the product development team, Shane began covertly testing a milkshake in his store. He was determined to prove to Woody Falk and others that this was an offering they could make to improve customer satisfaction, and it could be done quickly. And so the great milkshake experiment began at his store in Athens, Georgia. Shane and his team personally bought the ingredients needed to transform the ice cream that Chick-fil-A was already serving into a quality milkshake that customers liked. After tinkering with the product and training his employees how to prepare it, the team in Athens discovered a creative way to serve a delicious tasting milkshake while keeping the order times short. With very little marketing, word of the milkshake began to spread throughout Athens. Within a few months, Shane's store was selling hundreds of milkshakes every day. The make or break moment for Shane's team came when Tim Tassopoulos, Senior Vice President of Operations, decided to drop in to see what all the fuss was about. Tim was the decision maker. He could say yes or no to their little trial. But Shane was ready for Tim's visit. Like an old Western gun fast draw, Shane challenged him to make two Diet Cokes faster than he could make a milkshake. If Shane couldn't make the milkshake fast enough, the trial was over. If he could, Tim would agree to allow the milkshake sales to continue. Guess who won? That's very good. It's refreshing. Chocolate. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. Not long ago, Pastor Wayne gave a contrasting description of being demanding and commanding in leadership. If we want to live as Jesus, we must not demand our rights in an ungodly manner. 
But we should learn to command. We should learn to take control of what God has entrusted to us. And that means we must speak life by being faithful, refreshing messengers. We need to create more milkshakes. Sorry, that's really good. I can't. If a guy can figure out how to graciously approach his supervisors, his, his leadership, and work around rules and organizational bureaucracy to figure out how to make his company better, simply to create a milkshake that me as a consumer gets to enjoy, then certainly we can learn. Certainly we can learn to speak life. We can be faithful, refreshing messengers because the impact is much greater than a simple milkshake. If you want to build to last in your family, if you want to build to last in your job, if you want to build to last in your world, then, then you must learn to speak in such a way as to refresh another person's soul. And as we do that, as we do that, we must watch out for whisperers and flatterers. We must keep a sharp eye out for whisperers and flatterers because if we're going to use our tongues to speak life, then we must not fall into their traps nor become like them because that only brings trouble. If you turn with me to Proverbs 26, Proverbs 26 Verses 20 through 28, it says this, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, a quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel, our fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguising himself with, lip, with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart, when he speaks graciously, believe him not. For there are seven abominations in the heart, in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. This section is full of illustrative word pictures to help the reader see the danger of following after whisperers, and flatterers. And Dr. Tom Constable states this about verse 20 as this section begins. It says, if gossips would stop gossiping, interpersonal conflicts would die out. Just like when someone stops adding fuel to a fire, it goes out. The whisperer uses innuendos and half-truths, and he or she distorts and exaggerates facts. The serpent bent the truth in this way so as to seduce Eve to sin. Nehemiah refused to listen to the gossip that Sambalat was circulating about him, and consequently, opposition declined, end quote. If we would pay attention and stop gossiping and stop listening to gossips, then the fire caused by the tongue would be extinguished. But too often, we find the words of the whisperer to be smooth. And like delicacies to our mouth, we, we take them in and act like the greedy kid who steals all the candy from the candy jar without thought of anyone else. The part, or, part of the problem is that, that we're attracted to shiny things. Like the guy who's deceived into buying all the slick advertised trinkets near the cash register, we can be deceived by whisperers and flatterers who spin their words in such a way that they sound so good. 
And we can even become like those who hide the truth by painting a little glaze on a clay pot to disguise its true worth. We can cause ourselves and others ruin by lying all the while forgetting that the truth is what sets us free. The truth is what sets us free. We must watch out for whisperers and flatterers. We must be refreshing, faithful messengers. And as we do that, we, we want to highlight that we want to be kind in our words. We want to be gentle. But what happens as we, as we fight this whisperer, the one that's in our ear all the time trying to deceive us, the enemy, he, he attempts to confuse us and lie to us that, that the only way to be kind is that we cannot confront another person. We cannot say anything that might sound harsh. But that isn't life-giving. Flattery brings ruin, not hope, nor does it bring life. Proper rebuke is speaking life. In Proverbs 28, 23, it says, He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. The Bible Nodded's commentary on the Old Testament comments about this verse. It says, giving a needed rebuke rather than overlooking it or flattering a person is difficult. But in the end, a wise person is grateful for it. I also like what Tim and Kathy Keller say about this verse in their devotional book on Proverbs. They say, give, hold on. 28-23 reminds us that the straight talker will in the end get more respect and favor than the person who only compliments and flatters out of fear of disapproval. Despite his meekness and gentleness, Jesus speaks frankly to the woman at the well about the wreckage of her sex life. He tells Zacchaeus to stop his government-backed extortion racket. He's the one who says, neither do I condemn you and go now and leave your life of sin in the same breath. End quote. How many times have you witnessed a parent giving unmerited praise to their child all in an effort to keep that child from feeling bad about themselves? How many times is a boss not giving accurate feedback for fear of the displeasure of the union rep? Lying to people is never helpful. Loving rebuke will bring more favor for all in the end. And if we're going to speak life, if we're going to learn to speak life to those around us, then we must learn to confront boldly. We must learn to confront lovingly instead of bringing ruin with our empty compliments. Now, with that being said, we are not to just run our mouths with the truth. Because letting it all hang out is the act of fools. Proverbs 29, 11, A fool vents all of his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. The term feelings has been translated a few ways in different translations. The Net Bible, though, says this. The word is ruach. The Net Bible says this. The Hebrew meaning his spirit. It has been commonly interpreted to mean his anger, but it likely means more than that. The fool gives full expression to his soul, whether it be to anger or bitterness or frustration of any other passions. He has no self-control, end quote. Wayne shared this comic with me by Randy Glassbergen. A patient in a hospital bed says, my employer is paying for the surgery. 
I'm having a speed bump installed between my brain and my mouth. <laughs> oh, if it were only that easy. If it were only that easy. So how do we do it? How do we learn to, to, to take that pause and think before we speak? Just look at a, a guy from history. Has there, has there anybody, been anybody on earth that has suffered as much as Job? He lost all of his possessions. All his kids were killed. And was left with a wife who wasn't quite the stellar example of patience and strength. Job 2, 9-10 says this. this is, then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of those foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. See, the tendency in our flesh is that we want to spew out all of our emotions just like Job did, Job's wife did. Curse God and die, she says. I don't think she quite fits the description of a refreshing, faithful messenger. But the other fleshly option that we have is that we hold all of our emotions in and let them stew around for a while while they, while they harden our heart in bitterness until they either boil over in murderous, murderous rage or they eat, us, they eat us alive from within because we won't let anybody help. Neither one of those options is a healthy response to how to deal with our emotional truths and realities. The key, the key to the right way of expression, though, is to know who you are. It's to know who you are. See, Job knew who he was. Job knew that he was a man created in the image of God. He knew that because of his faith in the Creator, Everything was okay. He was ready to respond in patience and grace with true refreshing words because he knew the great I am. And his words were the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, that's life-giving. That's speaking life. That's offering hope. Job knew who he was. I believe another key to speaking life in the hardest of moments is knowing the difference in venting and lamenting. See, venting is just a release of air, release of gas. We do that in other ways. But to lament is an expression of sorrow or disappointment. Proper lament before God recognize who is in control of the situation. Venting my complaints to anybody who might listen seems more to declare that, that I'm in control, that, that my demands aren't being met, and that matters above all else. Those are two different things. Here's a little something I wrote to help me think about the difference, and perhaps it will help you too. To vent is a way for me to declare that I am independent. To lament helps me recognize I am his and learn contentment. 
Let me read that again. To vent is a way for me to declare that I am independent. To lament helps me recognize I am his and learn contentment. See, Job suffered greatly. And he is a great example of what it means to speak life no matter what. But Jesus. But Jesus was the ultimate example of what it meant to speak life and to give life. The prophet Isaiah wrote this about the suffering servant in Isaiah 50 through 47, verse 44 through 7. It says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the ability to, to have the tongue of those who are taught just like our Messiah Jesus. We can know how to sustain with a word him who was weary, just as Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus, Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus said, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. This Jesus is the one who offers us life by his very words. And I pray that by his grace we learn to be refreshing, faithful servants who run from gossip, who tell the truth, and who tell the truth in wisdom and contentment. I pray that we would speak life. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for these words that remind us, remind us that, that we have life. These words from Isaiah that just remind us that Jesus came to give us life because he took away our sin by his death and his resurrection and belief on him. And with that, we can be servants who get to offer life to those who are weary. We can learn to offer those kind and gracious, truthful words, sometimes hard words. But we get to be those messengers, and I ask that you would help us to be like you. That we would speak life the way you offer life. Graciously, humbly, lovingly, mercifully, compassionately. God, may we be those people. Father, for anybody here that doesn't know you, that doesn't know that life, that has not met your son, I ask that you would pierce their heart right this moment and allow them to see his grace, that he died on the cross and rose again 
and by believing in him, they may have life. Friends, if you are here and you have not trusted in Jesus, there's no better day than today. Trust him for the salvation of your soul so that he may take your sin away and offer you a new life. One of hope and joy and wonder and love. Father, as we take our offering, we ask that you would use every penny to help us to speak life to others. Help us share the good news from a far country. Help us to spend wisely so that we may continue to train each other and others that we come in contact with what it means to speak life so that we can build to last. Thank you for our time today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.